Rob, yesterday on, well, you know, for the last couple of days, the biggest news in, in movie circles has been the ongoing now lawsuit between Scarlett Johansson and Disney. And, you know, as a result, as in every legal proceeding, some people are drawing a line in the sand. Some people take one side. Some people take the other. All this kind of stuff. Now, Rob, I did a companion video yesterday. And in it, I basically said this. Disney really doesn't have a legal leg, leg to stand on here. And I'll tell you exactly how this is going to end. This is going to end with Disney will do more public grandstanding. They're going to say a lot of things publicly. They're going to do what they can to save face. But at the end of the day, this is never going to trial. It's never going to trial. At the end of the day, Disney is going to sit down with Scarlett Johansson's lawyers, and they're all going to come up with a number that Disney will pay Scarlett Johansson, and they're going to settle this out of court. It might take six months. It might take a year. It might take two years, but this thing's never going to trial. I mean, I, I just don't, unless there's a lot of information that neither side have revealed to the public yet, which is always a possibility that there's information that a lot of people don't know yet. And if that's the case, Maybe that would change our minds and change our opinions. But right now, there's no way this thing's going to trial. Disney's going to settle. They'll do some public grandstanding, and then they're going to settle. But what has been interesting to me, as, as a lot of you guys know, I have a little bit of a legal background. What has been interesting to me is watching some people discuss the Scarlett Johansson Disney situation who clearly don't have a fundamental understanding of contract law. And how that contract law could actually be applied to a situation like this one, like Scarlett Johansson versus Disney. And so what I thought would be an interesting idea for us here is to actually take a few minutes and look at this Scarlett Johansson versus Disney situation and fundamentally break down and, and hopefully give you guys a bit of an understanding of how contract law works and how certain doctrines of contract law may be applied to the Scarlett Johansson and Disney situation. At the very most here, what I hope to accomplish here is that when you guys see more stories coming out about Scarlett Johansson versus Disney, you guys will have a little bit more of a fundamental understanding of what legal doctrines are at play here and how it might implicate and how it might influence the outcome of this thing. So that's what I want to do here. So in order to do that, we are going to take a moment and take a visit over to the Campia classroom, if you guys will indulge me. Now, before we jump in here, Rob, I want to make sure everybody understands this. I have never spent a single day in an American courtroom. I am not an American law system legal expert. I have, I have basic fund fundamental understanding of contract law, which I did work in for a bit and all that kind of stuff. So, but when we start talking about contracts here, if you ever have an issue with a contract, do not go, I heard a guy on the YouTubes once say, don't do that. Go get an actual lawyer who practices law and go and discuss them. That's very, very important. If you have a contract dispute of any kind, don't depend on what you heard on the Googles or the YouTubes. Go and actually talk to a lawyer. Okay. So, okay, there we go. Let's start with the first basic thing. We're going to talk about two main things here. Number one, we're going to first understand what makes a contract. And then secondly, we're going to talk about how could a contract be broken? And then specifically, how does that, those principles and those doctrines of breaking a contract apply to the Scarlett Johansson and Disney situation and how it could affect the outcome? Okay. Okay. 
Let's start with this. Let's start with what do you need in order to have a contract? Okay, first thing, there are four, there are many, many things. And by the way, Adam Muhammad sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate that, man, for the support. There are four basic things you need. There are more than this. It's more complicated than this, but I'm just giving you the general idea, okay? The general idea. Four things you need to make a contract. One, you need an offer. That sounds straightforward enough, Rob. It sounds, of course, you need an offer. Basically, I say to Rob, Rob, I will pay you $20 to mow my lawn. All right? So there's an offer there. If Rob just showed up at my house one day and mowed my lawn and then came to my door and said, give me $20, you owe it to me. I'll say, dude, there was never an offer. There was never an offer. So principle number one, you need to have an offer. Stand straight enough. Principle number two, you need to have acceptance. So basically in this whole scenario of me trying to get Rob to mow my lawn, I can make the offer, Rob, I'll pay you 20 bucks to mow my lawn. And then next Saturday, he still hasn't mowed my lawn. I can say, hey, we had a contract. He says, no, I never accepted. I never said yes. So in law, you need number one. And by the way, Cutter Hale sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, Cutter. Number one, you need an offer. Number two, you need acceptance. So I say, Rob, I'll give you 20 bucks to cut my lawn. And Rob says, I accept. We now have a legally binding agreement. Here's the thing. There are two other main parts you need, though. It's not just an offer and not just acceptance. Number three, you need what's called consideration. What do I mean by consideration? Consideration means in this legally binding contract, I am getting something and you are getting something. I can't just say to Rob, Rob, will you mow my lawn next Saturday? And he says, sure. That's not a contract because there was no consideration. I can't just say, Rob, will you mow my lawn? I have to say, Rob, I will give you $20 to mow my lawn. <clears throat> and then Rob says, yes. So I am getting my lawn cut. Rob is receiving $20. There are some times where people have thought they have entered into con contractual agreements, but there was no consideration. So number one, you need an offer. Number two, you need acceptance. Number three, you need consideration. And by the way, our friend Soul Brother Max sends in a super chat badge as well. Thank you guys. Appreciate that. All right. There's a fourth thing. Now, again, let me reemphasize. There's a million other details here and a lot of other things, but these are just the four basics. Okay. You need capacity. What capacity means is this. If I said to Rob, Rob, I will pay you 20 bucks to mow my lawn. And Rob says, sure. Okay, sure, maybe that's a contract. But what happens if Rob is nine years old? Rob, if you're a nine-year-old. I, I do a good job, John. <laughs> that's the best voice I've heard you do. <laughs> so I have made an offer. Great. Rob is accepted. Great. There is consideration. I'm giving him 20 bucks. I'm getting my mown lawn. Great. But under the law, as a nine-year-old, Rob cannot enter into legally binding agreements. He does not have capacity. Or let's say I said, Rob, let's say Rob is the age he is. And I say, Rob, cut my lawn for 20 bucks. And he says, sure, but Rob is filthy drunk. 
filthy, stinking, uh, slobbering, drooling drunk. Yes, Chad, I'm nine years old and I've never had vodka before. <laughs> fantastic. And he's completely smashed. Well, guess <laughs> what? In a court, a court would say Rob did not have capacity to accept that offer. So no contract would exist. So basic understandings. And listen, I know you're probably thinking, how does this connect with the ScarJo thing? It's important to understand this first principle before we move into the situation with ScarJo Johansson. Okay. Number one, you got to have an offer. Number two, you have to have acceptance. Number three, you have to have consideration or something that you're getting out of it. And number four, you've got to have capacity. Okay. So there's that. Okay. So as we move down here now, so when can you break a contract? Oh, one thing more, one thing more about things you need to make a contract. Notice what isn't there. It does not need to be in writing. Get that part. It does not need to be in writing. If I say to Rob, I will give you 20 bucks to mow my lawn. And Rob says, yes. And there was consideration and Rob had full capacity to accept. It doesn't matter whether it's in writing or not. We have a legally binding agreement. We have a contract, even if it's not in writing. Now, some contracts do need to be in writing. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But I just want it to be very, very clear to some people here. It does not have to be. That is not one of the requirements of contract law is that it has to be in writing. And that's important to understand for when we get on to another part here. Okay, so when can you break a contract? There's a couple of legal doctrines here, okay? When can you break a contract? Well, one of the first things that provides for you to break a contract is if there has been a breach of the contract. Bratch. When there's a bratch of the contract. When there is breach of contract, basically what that means when one side has fundamentally failed to live up to their obligations of the contract. I'll give you a great example of this, okay? Here's a great example of this. When I sold my website, the movie blog, back in the day, a true story, this is a true story. When I sold my, my website, the movie blog, back in the day, I entered into a contract with the purchaser that they were going to pay me X amount of dollars, which would be broken down. I think they were going to pay me like $8,000 a month for X amount of months, right? That was the contract. The problem is about halfway through, the owner stopped paying me the $8,000. I can't remember the exact number. Let's just for argument's sake say it was $8,000 a month, right? The new owners stopped paying me my $8,000 a month because they were having money problems because they weren't very good business people. So they stopped paying me $8,000 a month and I wrote to them and then it went like three months in a row with them failing to live up to the contract. They were breaching the contract because they were in breach of contract. I was then able to void the contract and take my website back. <clears throat> okay. Even though I had, they had offered to buy it, I agreed to sell it to them. They gave me a certain amount of money. I gave them the website, so there's consideration. And we both had capacity to make the agreement. The fact of the matter is, halfway through the agreement, 
they breached the contract because they stopped paying me what they were supposed to pay me every month up until the full balance was paid. And because they breached the contract, I was able to say, I'm taking back my website, the movie blog. I'm taking it back. And I did. I took it back. And I later sold it again. So there was a breach of contract. Now, why this is important to understand here is that ScarJo, I'm just going to say ScarJo so I don't have to write out her full name every time. ScarJo fulfilled her obligations in the contract. This is so important to understand in this situation. Scarlett Johansson, in the agreement and contract that she had with Disney and with Marvel, she already fully completed all of her obligations under the contract. She appeared in the film. She functioned as a producer on the film. She promoted the film. She did the press tour for the film. She did everything that was required of her under the contract. So Scarlett Johansson's side of the contract was completely fulfilled. That is so key and important to understand because it comes into play more a little bit later on. Okay, so one reason you can legally breach a contract is if there is a breach in the contract. Okay, here's another uh, time and t you can break a contract. The statute of frauds. Now, what is the statute of frauds? Statute of frauds. Basically speaking, the statute of frauds is, what's the best way to put this? Is that there are some situations where a contract must be in writing, okay? There are some situations in which a contract must be in writing. Because remember a little bit earlier, I mentioned that a contract, a legally binding contract does not have to be in writing. Well, the statute of frauds is basically a doctrine that says there are times when it does need to be in writing. For example, uh, marriage. Marriage has to be an agreement in writing. Property deals, buying land, that has to be in writing. Some service agreements that take longer than a year to fulfill the service agreement, that needs to be in writing. However, here's the thing. The problem is, some people think that when the statute of frauds is involved, only what is in writing is enforceable. That is not true. And I'm sure I misspelled enforceable. Yeah, I did. Anyway, never mind. So what we see a lot of right now going on in some online discussions is some things about... Well, how detailed, Rob, some people will be asking right now, how detailed was the contract? Because this contract they have in writing and all this kind of stuff, and the statute of frauds might suggest that every single detail about their agreement has to be in the contract. However, that's not necessarily true. In the statute of frauds, sometimes uh, what you call informal um, communication is enforceable, right? So Rob, if you and I enter into a property agreement, let's say this, 
a property agreement needs to be in writing. And Rob, you and I enter into a property agreement, but nowhere in that agreement does it say you're going to leave the refrigerator behind. Okay. Mm. Nowhere in the agreement does it say you, you have to leave the refrigerator behind, but you wrote me an email that specifically said, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we, when we close the deal, I'll totally throw in the fridge. The fridge will be left at the house. Well, even though property agreements have to be in writing, if I have external communication from Rob specifically saying that, yeah, the fridge will be thrown and be a part of it. Guess what? That can become enforceable. Now it's up to the individual judge, but still that type of informal communication outside of the bonds of the contract can become quite often enforceable. So this comes up because a lot of people have been talking about the emails like Scarlett Johansson's lawyers have talked a lot about the emails between Scarlett Johansson and Marvel, between Scarlett Johansson's lawyers and Marvel and what they made commitments for. This is in many cases enforceable as if it was written in the terms of the contract itself. This is John, important can to understand. I, yes. Can I add something to that? Yes, please. Because it's specific. So I was involved in a case similar to this and there is also something called and I'm, i looked this up so i'm reading it from a a law a law site but there's something called reasonable reliance or acting yes. on reliance yes now a lot of people have talked about in her contract that disney didn't necessarily say that it was going to get an exclusive theatrical release they're trying to play semantics however there were 23 previous marvel movies that received a theatrical release. So in her contract, when it says theatrical release, it didn't have to say uh, exclusive theatrical release because for 23 previous times, there was no Disney Plus. So there was no reason to assume it would be any different. So let me just read this paragraph. Particularly in contracts, what a prudent person would believe and act on if told something by another, like your refrigerator example. Typically, a person is promised a profit or other benefit and in reliance, takes steps in reliance on that promise, the refrigerator, only to find the statements or promises were not true or were exaggerated. The one who relied can recover damages for the cost of his or her actions or demand performance or the refrigerator or an exclusive theatrical release if the reliance was reasonable. Perfect. Yeah, and that is also known in some circles as common understanding. Yep. So in this case, you've seen some people online making an argument, well, in ScarJo's contract, all it says is theatrical release. It never said exclusive theatrical release. But Rob, as you were pointing out, the common understanding when theatrical release has always been up until COVID that yep. that meant an exclusive theatrical release for a certain theatrical window before going to home video. That has always been the way it was understood. And as you pointed out the word reliance there, Rob, Scarlett Johansson relied on that common understanding of it. Yes. And that is, there is much, much, much legal precedent for that. So that I'm so glad you brought that up, Rob. That's why you're so smart. Um, so that that's a that's a perfect example of this, right? 
Now, here's the big thing, though, Rob. This is the thing that everybody is really talking about when it comes to the COVID situation. Oh, because COVID happened, Disney doesn't have to honor their agreement with Scarlett Johansson anymore. Well, this is where it breaks down. This is another way you can break a legal contract. It's called the impossibility of performance. Now, we already talked a second ago that Scarlett Johansson has already completely fulfilled her end of the agreement. She has performed her legal obligations. But there is a doctrine in law that basically says that, hey, if it becomes impossible for somebody fulfill, to fulfill their obligations, there is remedy there in law to give them relief and allow them out of the contract, right? So what a lot of people here are now saying is that COVID-19 presented Disney with an impossibility of performance, that it was impossible for Disney to live up to their end of the agreement. It just simply wasn't possible. And therefore, that allows them out of their obligations, their contractual obligations with Scarlett Johansson. Well, that's not entirely true. Here's what I mean. An impossibility of performance, basically imagine this. Imagine uh, I hire, I don't know, I know, Mark Ellis. Let's say, Rob, I hired Mark Ellis to perform comedy at my party. So I'm, I'm throwing a party and I hire Mark Ellis to come and perform. And I say, Mark, uh, you're a funny guy, but you're not that funny. I'll pay you 50 bucks. I'm, Mark, Mark Ellis is hilarious, by the way. So I agree with Mark Ellis. I'm going to pay him 50 bucks and he's going to come perform comedy at my party, right? So we have offer. I'll give you 50 bucks. Acceptance. He says, yes consideration. He's getting 50 bucks. I'm getting a comedy performance capacity. Mark Ellis wasn't stone cold drunk at the time. And neither was I, there was capacity. We have a legally binding agreement. Well, what happens though, if before my party, an asteroid falls and destroys his house, breaking both of his legs and he's in the hospital, Mark, under this thing, even though he has a contract to come and perform at my party, Mark can file for relief under impossibility of performance. That something completely unforeseen happened that he couldn't have anticipated that made it impossible for him to live up to his end of the agreement, right? Uh, and by the way, our friend Rachel Knight sends in uh, a, a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Rachel. So, and, and I know everybody, by the way, by the way, everybody, I'm totally making this up. Everybody is expressing a lot of concern for Mark Ellis right now in the live chat. Mark Ellis is totally fine. So don't worry about it. <laughs> but um, anyway, so it's impossible for him to perform. So the contract can be voided. The problem is a lot of people are comparing that situation of the pandemic to a situation like this, but there are two main differences, okay? Two main differences. Difference A, okay? Here's the first difference. Disney had a choice. If Mark Ellis had his home hit by an asteroid and it left, broke both of his legs and put him in the hospital, he doesn't have a choice. He cannot make it to my party to perform the comedy. Disney had a choice. 
they had bad choices. Yes. I mean, I, I agree. They're, they had nothing but bad choices, but they had a choice. They had the choice to delay Black Widow even more. Now, that wouldn't have necessarily been a very good choice for them, but it was a choice available to them, and they chose to release it in theaters and on Disney Plus at the same time, which was a violation of their agreement. So they had a choice. Difference number two, or we'll call difference B here, is this. In the Mark Ellis situation, neither one of us had fulfilled our obligations to the contract yet. ScarJo had already performed her obligations. This changes the situation. It makes the impossibility of performance a little bit more murky. Because in the situation with Mark doing comedy at my birthday party, I hadn't given him the 50 bucks yet, and he hadn't come and performed at my party yet. It's very easy for us then to void the contract. However, not only did Disney actually have a choice in this situation, as opposed to Mark in our uh, fake example, but one of the two parties had already fulfilled their side of the contractual obligations. That makes it a little bit more dicey. It means that the impossibility of performance cannot just simply be thrown out there. It is more complicated than that. So I, this is why, Rob, at the end of the day, when you see that there was, by all legal terms, a legally binding agreement, that ScarJo did not breach her contract, that the statute of frauds doesn't really apply here because according to Scarlett Johansson's attorneys, they have explicit email communication between Marvel and Scarlett Johansson making her certain assurances. Because of common understanding, Rob, as you, as you rightfully pointed out, that the terminology in the contract was commonly understood to mean a certain thing in the rest of the industry, and the fact that impossibility of performance COVID-19 isn't a directly applicable application of the doctrine of impossibility of performance. That is why I say, at the end of the day, Rob, Disney doesn't really have a leg to stand on here. At the end of the day, they're going to do a lot of public grandstanding. They're going to say a lot of things. They're going to beat their chest, their little mouse chest. <laughs> they're going to do all the things that they're going to do to try to save some face. But in six months or a year or two years from now, this is only going to end one way. The two sides are going to have to sit down at a table and they're going to settle this long before it ever goes to court. Now, again, all that is assuming, Rob, there isn't some bombshell, unknown pieces of information that neither Disney or Scarlett Johansson's side are revealing to the public yet, which could totally change our perception of things. But barring that, there's no other way this ends. This ends with Disney writing a check to Scarlett Johansson. For how much, we don't know. But that's how this is going to end. I don't know, Rob. Okay, so I just thought in the midst of all this talk about Scarlett Johansson and Disney and contracts and blah, blah, I just thought it was important to equip movie fans with some basic understanding. Again, don't rely on anybody on the YouTubes. That includes me. If, it's, if, if you're involved in a legal situation involving contract law, don't rely on the stuff I just told you. Go and talk to an actual lawyer. That's very, very important. But Rob, you know, you know understanding all that and the, the great points that you made too, how do you see the Scarlett Johansson and, uh, and Disney thing ultimately ending? Well, I think, John, that 
like you, it's never going to see the inside of a courtroom because Disney can't have that because then they have to open up their books, which nobody wants um, <laughs> except Scarlett Johansson's lawyers. And and look, what we're seeing now is something that was going to be played out at some point. Uh, she just got there first. The, the whole business of movies and streaming it has changed the way Hollywood works because before getting performance bumps based on how well your movie or television series performs has been par for the course in talent contracts, especially A-list talent contracts, whether you're a star or a director. This is how a lot of stars and directors make money. They know when they're a part of a franchise that's guaranteed that they build these things in and they 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 don't get as big upfront payments as they could get because they know they're going to get performance bumps. And now with streaming, if you're in a TV series that used to go worldwide in syndication, you could make money, a lot of money for years. Nowadays, it's all a single buyout. So if you do a show on streaming that becomes a water cooler show or everybody watches, you don't get any more money, you know? So performance bumps are are very important and now with everything moving over to streaming there's a lot of reasons the studios want it that way because they make a lot more money because they don't have to pay middlemen to distribute movies or tv shows they can do it directly themselves direct to consumers and there's there's really no model in place the studios are trying to circumvent this they're trying to get they're just trying to get what they want and not pay the talent what they're worth. And talent's not going to put up with it. So there was going to be a battle at some point. I think Scarlett Johansson just got there first. And what's going to happen here is going to, obviously, it's going to, it's going to set precedent for the industry for a long time to come, both good and bad. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. But I'll bet you that they want this, um, they want this, taken care of immediately especially because marvel has shang chi they've got the eternals they've got movies coming out for the next three years and all of them have very high profile stars and they want to make sure everybody's happy so i think this will be settled quickly yeah now look i i get i know we went longer on this than we normally do and i get it we we live where there's uh, we live in a society of people that just want everything in twitter bites they they don't actually want to know really what the information is they don't want to really understand a situation they just want to see a youtube headline or whatever and, and move on but i thought this was important to go into a little bit more in depth and uh, again there's a million other details that i i didn't cover here and i i'm just very i mean i am oversimplifying it by a thousand percent i totally agree but i thought a lot of these main principles were important to understand when John, if, if you want to have an intelligent conversation about what's going on with the scarlett johansson disney situation rob I just want to quickly say that, you know, a lot of people say, well, she's made so much money. What does it matter? Well, what I think it matters is it doesn't matter who you are. You could be making 60 cents, $600, $6 million. Having contracts is the very basis of capitalism, you know, and being able to fill out contracts, sign contracts, and be able to do good business with people is, again, something all of us should support. I know it's hard to care about people that are very, very wealthy, but that's not the point. The point is the contract that was signed and people living up to their obligations. I completely agree. All right, anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about the whole breakdown there? Uh, jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts.